is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. This time, Cobham Crew time. As you already saw in the title, Phil, aka Chelsea Youth, is back with another Academy update. And Phil, the last episode we did Dev Squad, uh, kind of a run through of the season. We're going to do 18s, but we can't just stick to 18s because so much is going on at Chelsea right now. Yeah, to say the least. Um, obviously, we're academy focused, but there's headline news this week about a new men's first team head coach, and that always has an academy impact. But yeah, looking forward to rounding off the academy season as a whole with uh, an in-depth look at what happened with the youth team this season. Very, very excited to round this one out. So um, I, I guess if you don't mind, we'll start with the 18s, kind of run through that, uh, get through what happened, and then we can kind of get into maybe some of the bigger things that are going on uh, at sure. the club. So with 18s, uh, just for everybody that is needs a refresher on kind of how it finished. So in the table, remember at the 18s, they have North and South. Chelsea playing the South, a.k.a. the London teams, and finished fourth. West Ham blitzed the league with 57 points. Fulham second, Crystal Palace third, and Chelsea fourth and 37. Uh, it was kind of like two different <laughs> tables, really. I mean, West Ham were just so far and away that it, it was just Fulham, Crystal Palace, and Chelsea seeing who could take second spot, really. Yeah, it was, and West Ham... Uh, won the FA Youth Cup comprehensively. They beat Arsenal 5-1 at the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal have made a habit of losing big matches at the Emirates recently. You may have noticed um, to throw a little bit of shade we're allowed to. I know I haven't had the greatest season, but let's find the fun where we can. Um, West Ham also went very close to winning the national title. The South winner plays the North winner. They played at Manchester City, they played at the Etihad Stadium, and City won in extra time. You couldn't really separate the two teams, but putting that into context, it was everybody playing for second place really and and Chelsea had a, a generally good season with fourth place finish which was an improvement on last year although because a few teams fell out of category one status everyone played four fewer fixtures this year so on points per game Chelsea were actually down but finished higher in the table so it's kind of you win some you lose some but in terms of the body of work and the 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 trend it's definitely positive they had a strong finish to the season uh, losing one of their last seven in a, a pretty busy final week. But the individual development, the collective development, despite some in-season upheaval, it was it was generally positive. And I think I've remarked a, a few times in written form and on here that when you bring in 16 first-year scholars, as the club did last summer, it can take a little while to a, settle down and bed in. It's a big squad and a big upheaval. But also in this case, particular group's case, I think that while we've seen players emerge at 18, 19 into impressive senior roles, Reese James was playing championship football at 19 brilliantly, Mason Mount was doing it at Vitesse, Tommy Abraham doing it in the championship. We've seen a few others and, and Lewis Hall playing half a dozen games in the men's first team right now. This group in particular, I think, have a lot of potential, but it's a slow burner everybody's journey is different everybody's on a different development pathway and you might see one or two from that 16 accelerate quicker but I think as a collective when they're 21 22 23 that's when you're likely to see them really come into their own for various reasons but for a first year of full-time work with no schooling or what have you I think you can look back on the last 10 11 months as a generally positive time yeah no absolutely again 
all about development at this at this age, this level, uh, getting you know a, a sense of you know some high level football. Um, they you know getting into some cup competitions and things. A little bit more visibility, I would say, right as well when it comes to Cobham. Absolutely, yeah. It's that sort of time where you, you come into the under 18s, you get the FA Youth Cup attention. Some of them will play in the under 19 Champions League. Some of these league fixtures will get. Uh, live broadcast all of them will get highlights prominent on the website you get a profile you get people talking about you it is that transition from being relatively anonymous into starting to feel the spotlight a little bit more and they remember these are still 16 and 17 year olds and everybody is is different at that age but almost nobody is ready for what is to come if you're an aspiring young footballer and that's part of the work that Chelsea do to get them there on and off the pitch absolutely we were just talking about how Lewis Hall is still 18 on our uh, match review Nottingham Forest and just you know wasn't that long ago right that you're knocking around in this league next thing you know you're playing in the Premier League hopefully for the last four matches of the season so life comes at these guys quick and it's it's about how they can adjust um, so season overall, like we said, finished fourth, pretty competitive. Um, uh, they, what did they get second last season? Is that right? Uh, they were in mid table last season. I thought that they were knocking around for the title at some point. So that's on me. They've, they've been right up there in general, but last season, Southampton and West Ham sort of ran away with it and Chelsea finished seventh of 14 with 14 wins from 26 games, which is to the point I was just making that this season they only played 22 games and, mm-hmm. Uh, they won 11 of those. So they won just over half of last year. They've won exactly half this year. So on points per game, they were slightly down. They ended up finishing higher in the standings, arguably because West Ham ran away with it and everybody else was taking points off each other in a a different way. Whereas last year, it was probably a little top heavier by comparison. Well, I I definitely understand that one really unique thing that went on with this group, right? Is that they had an unforeseen managerial change late in the season. Uh, Thanks, Jody. They did. It's off my head. I can't recall a season where they had uh, a change. Certainly in the last decade, it would probably be towards the start of the Abramovich era where it last happened. But yeah, Jody Morris got the Swindon Town job back in late January, early February, I think. And obviously it hasn't worked out there for him. He, he left the post a fortnight or so ago. But Ed Brand went with him. Uh, initially in a protracted departure uh, between Chelsea, Swindon and the EFL. But he was replaced by Hassan Suleiman, who was previously the under-16 lead. He's been at the academy for a decade or plus in various younger age group coaching capacities. And he had 10 league games before the end of this season uh, and, and did pretty well with them as well. He got off to a good start. And then there was a slight hiccup against Arsenal and Brighton. But as I say, finished the season strong. Within the Chelsea coaching development philosophy system, everything is driven by the club's values and how they want to develop multifaceted, versatile footballers in the way we've previously discussed. But every coach then adds their own individual flair based on the players and the the, the profile of player that they have available to them. Hassan has a very versatile and very able squad. So they generally continued in the same way. I think we saw less of a a back three than Ed has played at times this season. They were more of a, a standard 4-2-3-1. You started to see a little bit later in the season 
players moving into different roles as part of their education. So Harrison McMahon finished the season playing more as a right back than the central midfielder he'd been all year. You saw a little bit more of Keanu Dyer playing in a more advanced midfield role than the six he played all season. Ronnie Sutter got to lead as the nine with Danelle McNeely dropping in as the 10, whereas previously Ronnie would be deeper or playing wide. And I think that was that sort of using the last few games to experiment a little bit and to drive individual and collective development was something that maybe we didn't see at the back end of previous seasons that had petered out into, there's no silver on the line, for example. Last season, Chelsea won the under-18 League Cup, so they were competing right till the end. But generally, it's it's 90% as you were with 10% of individual flair. But I think generally quite a promising start from Hassan, um, who I expect will keep the job moving forward, despite Ed's now available with um, having left Swindon with Jody. Um, I know Chelsea had a desire to keep Ed formally under contract with Chelsea. That ended up not happening. He was released to go to Swindon. They would like to keep him involved in some way moving forward, but I can't imagine that he'll come back into the youth team. This is Hassan's team moving forward. Yeah, I mean, that would be, you know, pretty weird. And obviously it's just one of those things where Ed Brand... Exactly. He's had three and a half seasons with the youth team. He's previously worked as an assistant under 21 level, uh, is ambitious, UEFA Pro license holder, going with Jody. Um, he may follow Jody if Jody gets another job this summer, for example, but the door is always open at Chelsea for coaches who have ventured elsewhere to come back. The closest example on the current academy staff is Jack Mishaw, the under 21 coach with Mark Robinson. He went to Bristol Rovers, having left his job with the under 16s. He went there as an assistant manager. Didn't work out. The manager and assistant left mid-season. And Jack was able to come back in and reassume duties at Chelsea. In some way, we'll see what the summer brings with Chelsea and multi-club and who's going to be on Pochettino's staff and whatnot. I think you'll still see Ed likely involved at Chelsea should he not remain with Jody as Jody forges his own managerial career. Ed may have managerial ambitions of his own. Uh, but the connection will always be there as a as an alumni of Chelsea, both as a player and as a coach at Cobham. Which we all love. Man, stop teasing that multi-club model. I could see <laughs> Jody and Ed. We've and been like, talking about it for a long time. and it, it, I'm just laughing. Every, I could, every fortnight, here's another club that's entered into a partnership. Bournemouth got taken over by Bill Foley and friends, and within like three weeks, they bought a majority stake in Lorient in France. And like, fine, Chelsea want to do things their way and do it right, but that's another club you can't get. Jo- Jody and Ed uh, on their way to to France or Portugal or you know some <laughs> some place with a heck of a lot better weather might just work out for them, which is which is kind of funny. Um, I, I did want to point out real quick the 18s, right? Development team, big time. This team has a lot of goals in them. If you want to talk about some of the characteristics of this team, Phil, is then we kind of head into like some of the players and things like that. Um, I think 3-1 or 2-1 is the most common scoreline I saw as I as I was running through the scores. Um, they, they've got goals in them, right? They uh, on, a, on a plus side, right? They blitzed Norwich City 7-1. And okay. then on the other side, got blitzed by Fulham 7-1. And so what it says is there's not a lot of clean sheets here, right? But there's a lot of goals. And I think that that's because they are focusing on probably the the attacking progressions in this team moving forward. Not that they don't try to defend at all or anything like that in hopes that they can kind of set themselves up to be more established for the dev squad. Or how do you kind of view that knowing that they're pretty much guaranteed to ship a goal every single game? I think, again, you take it on the merits of the squad and the individual players that you have at your disposal. Because when Chelsea were winning 
five FA Youth Cups in a row and back-to-back national titles in the mid-2010s. They were scoring more goals than they score now. They put 13 past Brighton in a match. They put 12 past Aston Villa. They put eight past Aston Villa in the reverse fixture of that same season. And their goalies, uh, just off my head here, Jay Caskey, 10 clean sheets in 19 appearances. They were built on a foundation of strong defence that then allowed you to attack with, I wouldn't say reckless abandon, but with the capability of knowing that you had Fikaha Tamori, Mark Gerhi, Rhys James, Trevor Chalabar, locking it down at the back, players who would go on to be absolute stars at the top levels of the game. And it's not fair to compare intake to intake and team to team, but obviously the results have spoken that Chelsea haven't won the Youth Cup since 2018 and they haven't won the National League title since 2018. And each individual player who's coming through since has gone on to do great things. Lewis Hall hasn't won a Youth Cup or a title, but he's playing in the men's first team. Uh, Various other players who've come through, Tino Livramento went to Southampton, hit the Premier League ground running before he got injured. All of these players are on different levels, but the general gist of academy football is that it will be a little bit goal heavy at under 18 level because you're learning to defend as a team, learning to play for a result. Under 16 football is more goal field by comparison. Each age group you go down, the scores get larger because the talent disparity is further apart. You get to under 18 level and there still is a talent disparity between players who are going to be in the Premier League in the next 12 months and players who may be out of football in 12 months. It's all about refining. So that's why you get to PL2 level and you don't see so many big scores. It becomes a game that looks a little bit more like a professional game as you go through the professional development phase and become ready to go out and compete in meaningful fixtures, senior games, Premier League, EFL, overseas, where have you. Yeah. All right. Well, that's fair. Um, totally appreciate that. Like I said, it's always good to kind of just level set on on expectations. But man, this team knows how to cook and are fun. So, hey, we're going to take our first ad break. When we get back, jumping right into uh, the team a little bit. So thank you to the sponsors and we'll be right back. Bet you didn't see this coming. Hope you're ready to hear editor Jake's voice for a while in the ads. <laughs> this time we're coming with Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and more. Shady Rays is a world-class sunglasses company, independently built, that'll have you thinking you're wearing some of the world's top brands that you already know with durable frames and extremely clear optics. Not only clear optics, but clear ethics as well, having donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Something that we have done at London's Blue Podcast. So and if you're worried you won't like your pair, they will exchange it. They'll give you a new pair or you can return them for free within 30 days. And if you're worried you might break them, thanks to lost and broken replacements, you can get a replacement pair. No questions asked anytime. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out the best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code LONDONISBLUE, all one word, all caps, for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's right. London is blue, all caps, spelled just like the podcast. You know, the podcast you're listening to right now. You can see it in the title. All caps, one word, 50% off, two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try it out for yourself. The Shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. All right, so we, we've got a few uh, of the names that you kind of want to run through, right, as far as this team. And again, I think I'll give you your moment to rightly hedge 
that, you know, these are teenagers. Uh, we are not trying to, uh, you know, put them on this crazy pedestal. We just want to encourage them and, and help them uh, reach kind of the, the heights that they're going to get to one way or another through Chelsea. Uh, but there's definitely a couple of familiar names that I think a lot of people um, wouldn't be surprised to hear you talk about. Yeah, definitely. There's players who have caught the eye this season. Some of them have had a little bit of dev squad exposure and under-19 Champions League exposure. Some of the particular second years, I'm thinking the likes of Leo Castledine have played regularly for the de- development squad despite being um, starting the season with the under-18s. So you've got those guys who are a little bit ahead of the curve and you've got some who spent the year uh, sort of fine, as we spoke about earlier, figuring their way through their first year as a full-time footballer. And you may see them, we, we spoke about this over the last couple of years with Armando Breuer. His first year as a scholar at Chelsea didn't go yeah. particularly well. And the second year Breuer. exploded into life. And he hasn't he hasn't looked back since. So again, True. everybody on their own merits. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's that's super true. Uh, also good to hear that Broya seems to be ready to go on an early uh, recovery plan as well. Um, we talked about Leo Castellan a little bit. Um, and uh, you know, I think that he, uh, we obviously talked about to, um, you know, club secretary who got to sign his father and Leo, which is pretty impressive. Uh, one of those feats that you only get when you've been in the game for, for so long. Um, but yeah, who, I guess maybe who was captain most of the season for this group? I always find that interesting because my guess is they might've rotated a little bit, but I'm, I'm open to hearing differently. Yeah, they have rotated a bit. So you'd have Castle Dine as captain at the start of the season. Harrison Murray Campbell was captain the team. Uh, just off my head, Michael Golding captain the team at times. It does go around a fair bit. But Harrison Murray Campbell, the, the centre half, was the ever present in every fixture. Um, we can talk about him in a minute when we'll we go through the different positional groups. But yeah, it's it's useful to be able to hand the captaincy around to different players. Sometimes you know who your leaders are, uh, and all of the players I've just mentioned. Harrison McMahon was another one who wore the captain's armband a lot this season. You know who the captains are. They can either be a very extrovert character who's very vocal and very clearly a leader, or those who lead by example. Sometimes you want to give the captaincy to somebody who you're not quite sure about their capacity to lead. Does it bring something out in them now they have the formal responsibility, or is it not for them? And You know who the leaders are within your group, and the captain can just be another development tool to... You scratch the surface a little further on on players you're not certain about in terms of their their mental makeup as they encounter new challenges is it going to suit them or is it not for them and you go in a different direction because we, we looked at Andreas Christensen he's a wonderful international quality defender who's just won La Liga in Spain with Barcelona got a lot of criticism in his time at Chelsea for being a very introverted character who doesn't lead try to put the captain's armband on him, you will find out he's not going to be that sort of vocal, bombastic leader, but that doesn't mean that he isn't a quality player and then you you work with him accordingly once you find that out. Yeah, no, that that is true. Um, but one one player I guess we did want to pull out was Tudor, right? Mendelido and, and what he has done as a striker. He's been at the academy technically since under eight and registered as an under nine, been here for a long time. I mean, half of his young life. <laughs> so uh, pretty good season. He's been pulled up to the dev squad a couple of times. Uh, Chelsea described him as a talented left foot attacking player. who can play out wide or through the middle. 
um, thoughts in, in, in kind of analysis on him. Yeah, I have thoughts because over the last week or two, not for the first time, certainly not the last time, Tudor has garnered a fair bit of social media buzz and attention. Um, not least because he is yet to sign a professional contract to Chelsea and that would come up this summer. He is a unique case in football as well. And we'll get to his education in a minute. He's a very, very easy player to like and to go viral because he's incredibly skillful. He plays with a confidence and a flair that excites. Wonderful individual skill. He has the productivity to go with it. He was the under-18 second top goal scorer this year with nine in all competitions. In his 16 appearances, he got nine goals and five assists. He produces. But for every two-minute viral video or 30-second clip that you see, there is 85 other minutes to watch. And I'm very careful about how to word this because I don't like criticising young players as they're on their development. But I, it's more about encouraging people to understand the big picture because there is equal amounts of frustration as you watch him play as there is these highlight, highlighted viral moments that everybody gets to see. You want to pick and choose when you produce those moments. This is the environment and the ground, the, the proving ground that you want to be able to express yourself in. But it's also the time to learn when you do need to pull out the flick or when you do need to take two touches or three touches instead of seven or eight touches when you dribble down a blind alley or play it to a person who is in a more advantageous position. And as we move forward, I've, I've no doubt that he will refine that. It's just about encouraging patience from people who are getting excited at seeing a really, really talented young footballer come through. But I think the difference between him and, let's say, Callum Hudson-Odoi, who was playing in Chelsea's men's first team at the, at the same age, is that Callum knew when to be efficient with the ball, incredibly capable dribbler, similar end products and quality. But Callum was able to pass just as effectively as dribble, was able to contribute in a team collective that drove him to a level that Tudor hasn't gotten to yet. So by all means, enjoy the player. Be excited by the player, but understand that a lot of what you don't see is perhaps why he hasn't gone to the development squad yet, which has been a bone of contention, that he hasn't had more opportunities up at that level. Some of that is on him. Some of it is also on the fact that as a left-footed creative forward, he's competing with Harvey Vale and Amari Hutchinson at development squad level, who are both, with respect, older, yes, but also better at this point. They'll go next season. If Tudor signs a new contract at Chelsea, then he'll get his development squad opportunities and do well with them. There is a hierarchy. You might think, well, why hasn't he played at this level? And let's not forget the dev squad were in a title race until April. They weren't particularly bad, and they had a lot of forward options who did a very good job at a very high standard of football. So with all that being said, the wild card as far as Tudor goes in terms of is he signing a new contract to Chelsea, so on and so forth, is his education. He is currently a King Scholar at Eton College, which for better or worse is seen as one of the most prestigious educational institutions in the United Kingdom. It's part of the the political ecosystem, multiple prime ministers have come from there. It doesn't necessarily matter where you've been educated or to, or what your educational level is. It doesn't define you as a person. But in his case, he is clearly quite a bright, quite educated individual who is committed to further education. He is the only one of the 10 players from his intake who has pursued higher, higher education beyond GCSE standard to completion. I think a couple of the other players who are now coming to the end of their under-18 season did some, some did more than others, but I think he's the only one who's seeing it through. 
part of that at Eton has required boarding. For example, he didn't take part in Chelsea's full-time programme like the under-14s to under-16s do who are on site every day and living with uh, foster families, with teammates in, in the usual academy way. He's from a family of very high achievers who have a particularly driven mindset. There are a lot of dynamic factors in, uh, involved here as to what his next step looks like. He's going to leave Eton College with a very high level of education and will want to pursue university degree level education, you would assume. Now, how does that factor into a budding full-time career? He's managed it well enough so far, particularly not having had the same training get-around time as some of his teammates. And he's still got this wonderful quality about him. But it's not just a case of Tudor wants this pathway or Chelsea don't see him as being this good. It's never as black and white as sometimes social media makes you think. And maybe I'm just shouting into the void because the people who will listen to this and understand it probably already do. And the people who don't care less and don't and aren't interested in it either won't listen or won't care. But the point is that it's not just a case of, oh, look, this guy's great. He scored a bunch of goals, skillful, flareful. Give him a contract, get him in the first team. There's there's a bigger picture here. You might be seeing one person's perspective with all the stories being pushed out into the media. There are two, three, four sides to each story. Right. I mean, a couple of tweets, you know, definitely picked up a lot of steam. Uh, they they listed his dribble stats, six of seven in a game, in seven, you know, 10 of 13, eight of 10. I mean, those are wild, right? And as you they were talking- They are, and they're, they're important, but at the same time, you need to read between the lines and ask yourself, how right. have those statistics become public information? Who has presented them and to what end? It, it, you can view them in isolation as just telling you that Tudor is- an incredibly capable, successful dribbler, which you can, the eye test tells you that. The statistics merely confirm it. But when the statistics are coming out as part of a discussion about whether he gets a professional contract on a pathway at Chelsea, you then need to ask yourself why. Right. What, where, where's the information coming from and to, uh, and to whose benefit? Also very fair, right? Because I, I was watching the comps and I can completely understand when you look at these things, like he is very tricky on the ball, right? Like he... His agility, his ability to change pace is fantastic. You know, I, I and I'm not making comparisons or anything like that, but we also saw Manchester United had to kind of quote-unquote break Ronaldo a little bit, and so he could kind of find that happy medium. But um, now that I'm seeing what we're seeing on social media and we've got you to kind of provide context, it is good. I think the academic side, right, is fascinating because he essentially is at the top of two very different ladders but this is the point in which he's going to have to decide which one he's not going to necessarily choose exclusively, but make a priority. And I mean, I, I just don't know how he's going to be able to do both at the highest possible level because you're always going to sacrifice something. So we'll have to see what he has to or, you know, what he's going to do. But, you know, talk about pressure for this young man and kind of the decisions that are in front of him. Obviously, he's blessed with amazing opportunities, but they're decisions nonetheless. You know, they're kind of determined the rest of your life. That's a <laughs> that's a big deal. It's just one of those things that by no means do I want this to come across as me being negative towards a wonderful young footballer and a wonderful young person who is clearly on the road to great success in whatever he does on and off the field. Uh, it's more about the perspective as casual fans, interested fans of the academy to understand that the journey for him 
involves a lot of off the field stuff mm-hmm. in in a good way. We we usually talk about off the field stuff in in the negative light, but no, that's not what I'm talking about here. He has a lot going on in his life. He has competition ahead of him in the positions he plays at Chelsea in a very successful development squad, and his time will certainly come should he remain at Chelsea. If he wants to explore his opportunities elsewhere, there are a queue of clubs at home and abroad who would be very interested if he decides not to sign for Chelsea. He wouldn't be the first, and he won't be the last to decide that his future lies elsewhere. He may decide that he wants to pursue further education in another country, which then syncs up with a move that he can potentially make. There's all of this involved. Uh, It's there's like the pressure of going Chelsea, giving the contract, giving whatever he wants. That's not kind of how it works. He'll have an offer on the club, on the table from Chelsea. He'll have had multiple offers. It's up to him and his family in the same way that everybody else has come before him. What's best for you? Chelsea can only go so far. We talked about it with Jamal Musiala when he left in 2019. Uh, and it's, Chelsea gave him an incredible offer. He had the, the the lure of returning to Germany, where he's born, where his parents are from, uh, and a move to Bayern Munich. You can only work with the information that you have available and make your best bet at the time. Hindsight will always be twenty twenty. As long as you learn from the process and learn from any mistakes you make along the way, that's all you can ask. Mm-hmm. No, very, very good. Um, all right. I did want to, um, I guess, pause right there. Uh, we You do have listed here that we have some some new scholars coming in. Maybe this is a good chance to kind of, as the academic school year is ending, kind of explain that process, especially as we head into the summer uh, with the 18s, because the 18s is kind of like the the graduation team a little bit with these with these academy players. Yeah, so the scholarships go to players who have turned 16 in the previous season and will turn 17 in the season to come. It marks the end of their required education within the English education system, which in secondary education takes you from the age of 11 to 16. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, as a Category 1 Academy, Chelsea and the other 24 of them are allowed to bring that education on-site in-house from year 9, which is the age of the 14 season. In Chelsea's case, they have a long-term affiliation with a local school, the players are educated largely on site and they will split their day between the classroom and the training field, roughly 50-50. Once they are done with their under-16 season, the club makes the decision whether to retain them on a scholarship and in most cases these days, a professional contract that triggers on their 17th birthday. If they don't, that player will then try to find another club and do this and continue their journey elsewhere. We've seen it time and time again with players who didn't get a scholarship at Chelsea but have gone on to achieve great things. They may have left at 16, they may have left at 15 or 14, like Declan Rice. And so when the players come back for pre-season in July, the graduates from this year's under-16 group will sign scholarships and begin their full-time journey within the academy. It's a bit of an uncertain group this year. So 16 came through last year. Pretty much everybody got a scholar. Okay. That's certainly not the case this year. It's much smaller in number. It's not yet finished and there will be external recruitment to top it up. Um, it's a good group uh, and a majority of them already played for the under-18s. We won't go into full detail. We'll deal with them when they come through in July at the start of next season. But people will be familiar with Keanu Dyer, who spent most of the year playing up despite being under-16. He got four, U- four UEFA Youth League appearances um, Frankie Runham is another one who scored in the UEFA Youth League, made a dozen or so appearances with the under-18s. He isn't actually signed yet. He's an example of the, 
under-16s playing up. There's uncertainty. There's a lot of clubs interested in him. And it speaks to the uncertainty about the number that will sign and whether it's going to be topped up by recruitment from elsewhere. We've seen the likes of Sam Illing Jr. leave uh, at the end of his under-16 season, go to Juventus, which has worked out incredibly well for him. Um, that sort of uncertainty exists at most clubs at this time of year. You'll have sort of 90% of your your contracts agreed and nailed down, but there's sort of 10% of, I'm not sure if he might leave or he might go there, but we also want this player from this club, this player from this club, this, and the, the recruitment merry-go-round whirls into overdrive as it does at the end of every season. Uh, a couple of the other boys have stepped up and put one or two appearances, so... It won't be as big a group next season, which makes sense. When you've brought in 16 players last summer, some of them got more minutes than others, but we'll talk through the whole squad in a bit, and some of them need that second year to 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 hit their development pathway on track, get more minutes than they did this year, get themselves prepared for the next step into under-21 football, whether it's PL2 or they're at a different level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, it's just it's just fascinating how that all works. There's not like a limit on scholars, right? It's literally, it's kind of like the economics of Chelsea and how much they want to um, offer. There's a limit of 30 players in your under-18 squad total, I think, off my head. Um, it's, it's like 35 registered under 16 players or something and then 30 under 18 level. But as soon as the player signs a professional contract, he is removed from that limit. So players who are born in September and October will count to the limit briefly. Players who are born in July and August will count for the entire season. But I think 16 or 17 is the largest that I've seen any club bring through in the last decade. Chelsea have done it once. I think Tottenham did it once. You see an average of about 10 maybe. Uh, which is about right because if you have two successive intakes of 10 you've got a 20 player squad to work with and then you accentuate it with the the, the best budding under 16s you don't want a 30 player plus squad at any level as we've seen with the Chelsea men's first team this season all right well that is good to know appreciate that we're going to take a final ad break when we're back a little bit of Maurizio Pochettino talk because well why not talk of the town thank you to the sponsors and we'll be right back are you missing out on your favorite shows because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of the U.S. Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus servers, no show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan with one month free. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check it out. My link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. All right. Well, it would be silly of me to pull you on and not ask about your thoughts of Maurizio Pochettino coming in. I'm sorry. I'm doing the Maurizio. Sorry, Italian. It's Mauricio Pochettino, Argentinian version. His son is Maurizio with a Z. Is it really? He is. He spent a little time at Tottenham as a young academy player. He then went to Watford 
And I believe he's playing in Spain's second or third tier now. But yes, Mauricio with a C is the father. Mauricio with a Z is the son. All right. And his other son is on his staff, which we've learned thanks to Matt and Naz breaking that all down. So uh, Phil, Mauricio Pochettino definitely coming in. uh, Confirmed is funny. Dan called it the triumvirate. You got Matt Law, who is the Pochettino whisperer from his time at Spurs. You've got Ornstein and then you've got Fabrizio all confirming it. So we consider it good to go. Uh, you've had some tweets, right? So we can we can kind of sum up where you stand because obviously the the academy it's been on a wild run. I think the academy and whether or not there's a connection to the first team. We all know that Maritza Sari broke any type of uh, academy connection completely. Refused to watch, you know, really no minutes whatsoever to be had. Uh, then you know Frank Lampard building a golden bridge across from the two bringing through young players like mason and reese and and trevo and in different place players like that actually i don't think trevo was there he came in under tuchel tuchel did provide some minutes for some young players so it seemed to be going well and here we are right we are now um post potter into the pochettino reign what what are your what are your predictions because obviously there's no way to know other than looking at his his um actions historically yeah so as Chelsea fans we're sort of conditioned to this time of season time of year uh, we go through site managers every couple of seasons in this <laughs> we've had about five this year so I go into it sort of I wouldn't say expecting the worst but expecting nothing with the exception of Frank Lampard because you knew he had the credit in the bank and the cachet to like you can walk the walk and talk the talk with the academy. There were circumstances that maybe made it more advantageous to do so, particularly the transfer ban. But we've spoken before about having the likes of Michi Bashway and Davide Zapacosta in the squad, and certain predecessors may have used those rather than bringing in Vicayo and Mason and Reese and Tammy. So you have all of that, and he, I, I think my tweets probably sum it up best that there are reasons to be positive about Pochettino from a youth perspective but to not go overboard so certainly in his first couple of years at Tottenham Southampton I don't think is particularly relevant to this it was a bit longer ago and it's not the same profile of club as Chelsea the situation he arrived into at Tottenham is relatively similar to the situation he's finding himself in at Chelsea now it was a squad that didn't have a cohesive feel to it and needed direction and leadership and with a talented academy that could supplement in ways that fit his philosophy and his attitude and we saw that quite early on uh, and whether some of the players who got one or two cup competition minutes made it at Tottenham or not it does demonstrate a willingness to at least explore and open doors to a pathway that many Chelsea managers haven't considered. We've seen young players on the bench in dead rubbers in the Europa League with substitutions still remaining, not get that time on the pitch. We've seen League Cup ties against Bristol Rovers with kids on the bench and you'll bring Ed Nazard on for a 15-minute cameo at the end. Um, you can live through all those frustrations and we all have. I think the encouraging thing academy-wise that I saw from Pochettino at Tottenham was his willingness to use young players in central midfield roles and it's not something you very typically see 
at any level of the English game, it is quite hard to trust them. You'll move them further forward or out wide or sometimes at fullback. But there was a run where Ryan Mason and Harry Winks and Oliver Skip in particular, and then slightly less for Tom Carroll. And while he's not English, Nabil Bentaleb got a good run in there as well. They all came through the Tottenham Academy. And while their long-term success can be debated, they all provided serviceable performances at no cost. And this is what we've always talked about from the academy. We've seen Trevor Chalobah excel at right back in the last couple of games. It's another string to his bow. He can play at centre-half in a two or a three. He can play in central midfield. He can play as a, a left-sided centre-half. Now he's playing at right back. You've got all of that from a player that costs you nothing. And if you've got those resources in-house, you can build the rotational element of your squad, for want of a better phrase, and then instead of investing in Sol on loan for a season or Shah Felix on loan for half a season, you can make sure that money goes to the real difference makers, the Enzo Fernandezes of this world. And I think that's what Pochettino tried to do at Tottenham in, in that regard, at least. Now, whether that happens at Chelsea or not is entirely different um, because Chelsea's a beast. It's got four director level football management people you've got established youth pathways and connections or at least in the loan front which may negate some of the criticism that came towards him at Tottenham where he would want the likes of Kyle Walker-Peters to train over the course of the entire season to to get to his level and his standards we've heard he's big on training and big on effort and big on commitment you do need to get that time on the pitch as well and players would train and train and train and train and train and never get to play or never be allowed out on loan and that can be damaging Chelsea will probably override some of that to some degree because they have people in place who've driven this loan program successfully for a long time. Um, and just just overall, as the, the latest to sit in the very hot seat at Stamford Bridge, the, my, my summary was that he may not be the long-term candidate, but I think he's the right guy at the right time to come into a club that will have no UA for competition next season. It will be a smaller fixture list, a squad that will hopefully be refined and he can bring some order, leadership and uh, and much-needed structure to a group of young players that have been signed and that are coming through as aspirational Chelsea Academy graduates. Yeah, I think that's kind of what Matt was saying, is that not, not to belittle Potch, but you just need someone to organize this ship, right? We need to get everything put back together. It's absolutely in shattered pieces right now. So many different things. He feels like Potch is a good person to do that. And then maybe you go back to that like hyper elite manager. Uh, and again, not to disparage Potch whatsoever. It's just that's what his skill set is. I mean, he's made Spurs the most, he's been there for the most successful run of their period. And there have been top managers that have gone in since and have been able to do jack right Antonio Conte Jose Mourinho um and and those are like the big big names that you never thought would go to Spurs and yet Pacho is able to do more with less and I think that's you know you got to wonder what he can do the only downside from your youth perspective right is it's just less competitions less matches you're still gonna have the domestic cup competitions there's no European competition. So at that point, what, you know, where, what role are they going to play? How many minutes he's going to give? Because you got to imagine he's going to have a very small squad, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, 
Um, because you don't need a big squad when you play one day a week. We can't be having a squad A, squad B nonsense like we did this season. And then from there, it's like, okay, probably not a lot of minutes for the youth unless we go out and they're just torching teams, three, four, nothing. So a lot up in the air to your point. I just wonder what Neil Bath um, kind of, you know, as they all sit around the table, what his ability is going to be to push things through. But um, all, as long I as think, you, as long as yeah. you can keep the barrel loaded with with youth academy products, I mean that that's that's all you need. The the clear overriding point from the briefings that have come out of the club over the last year is that they are absolutely dead set on collaboration and cooperation between ownership football directorate and club uh, first men's first team management and Pochettino will give you that for better or worse compared to other candidates he has a pragmatism that he's displayed in all of his previous jobs he can manage up he can manage down he is an adult in the room at a time where certain candidates and certain predecessors and there are no names on that we can go back over the course of a decade we're not just talking about Thomas Tuchel here for anyone who's paranoid who are not prepared to play ball in that regard it's a professional environment you can be demanding you can be forthright and you can have your principles but at the end of the day if you don't mesh well with your employers your colleagues and everybody else then it's not going to work and we will find out whether Chelsea's very flat hierarchy and collaborative structure will work under another manager it didn't work under Graham Potter it <laughs> you every time you hear Frank Lampard speak in public about what he's inherited, you can almost see everything he's holding back from <laughs> just abs- kind of saying, I've walked into that meme where you open the door and the whole room is on fire. You just he won't come out and criticize anybody. He's been given a chance to guide the ship into the end of the season, but there's a lot that needs addressing. I think Pochettino can help address that. And as I've always said, you go in with eyes and ears open. And let the actions speak louder than words because we've had many and many a new manager come in at Chelsea and say, yeah, I'm a big fan of the academy. Opportunities will be given to those who deserve them. And we've seen that not come to pass. So let's wait and see what he does. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, much more coming along this line. Obviously, we just talked to Matt yesterday. Uh, Phil giving us a youth angle. We'll continue to go through it. I know Tinkerman are going to be doing at least one of their two episodes on Poch because, you know, you have to. And if you're really bored in the meantime, uh, Dan and, and Sam over at CSC Central did a did a big breakdown. So I think we've covered it, you know, pretty comprehensively. At the end of the day, we're, we just got to wait and see how it goes. Uh, Phil, I am excited about preseason. I'm excited to see how it goes. Obviously, they'll be here in the United States. We'll be at four of the five matches. Uh, but, you know, I we got more coming this summer, right? We got, we got a lot more that we can still talk about when it comes to Academy. We NAS dropping the lone army news that, you know, we're going to talk about. And obviously where we think some of the changes might go, uh, with some of the top, top dev squad players and, and how they can integrate. So, um, I'm excited. We get just cause the season's over does not mean we're done. Does it? The Chelsea are never done. Oh There's my gosh. Plenty to talk about. And I'm sure the next two, two and a half months, however long it is, will be just as interesting just as much stuff to talk about as when the ball is being kicked around on the pitch. Absolutely. Well, you know, well, Phil, thank you so much as always for sharing the 
depth of knowledge you have about the Academy. U18's wrapped up, Dev Squad wrapped up. We will continue to move on throughout the summer with more content. If you have stuff you want to know from Phil, tweet at us, tweet at him. We'd be happy to kind of do a mailbag coming up here in the summer as well now that the dust has kind of settled and the Premier League season is over. So uh, we'll put out a call on that one, but uh, more, more, more coming at you. So yeah, plenty of pods this week. Hope you are thoroughly enjoying it, everybody. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.